Written and directed by Robert Arthur and David Cogan, The Mysterious Traveler first aired over the Mutual Broadcasting System on December 5, 1943. Mostly sustained, the show was heard on virtually every night of the week. It was cheap to produce, there were no major film stars to pay, and plenty of New York radio actors willing to work for a union scale. With that said, it was popular enough to spawn a comic book and magazine. Maurice Tarplin played the title role with a good-natured malevolence. The Traveler mostly narrated from an omniscient perch. He came to listeners in the night, riding a phantom train. The opening signature was a distant wail of a locomotive whistle, fading in gradually until the rumble of the train could be heard. The stories ran from crime drama to wild science fiction. David Cogan later recalled that he broke into radio with Bulldog Drummond, The Shadow, and then-man Scripps. He met Robert Arthur in Greenwich Village, suggesting they team up. The pair developed Dark Destiny, which aired on Mutual from August 26, 1942 through March 11, 1943. They came up with the Mysterious Traveler concept and prepared three sample scripts. Norman Livingston bought it for WOR. As independent producers, they were paid a flat rate for the whole package. Any money they saved by using the same actors in multiple roles went into their own pockets. So they used the best character actors in New York radio. Kogan also directed the series. Mutual presents The Mysterious Traveler. Written, produced, and directed by Bob Arthur and David Kogan. This is the mysterious traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can. Where are we going? Tonight we're going to drop in on Henry Norton, a man who saw death in every corner. I call the story... Death is my caller. My story begins late one afternoon in the luxurious office of Henry Norton, a stockbroker. Norton, a tall, dapper man in his 40s, is in the midst of signing some letters when he's called on the office communicator by his secretary. Excuse me, Mr. Norton. Uh, yes, Miss Perry. There's a Mr. Blair to see you. Uh, Mr. who? Charles Blair. He says you know him very well. Charlie Blair? Uh, tell him I'm not in. I'm out of town. Tell him anything. I don't want to see him. I don't ever want to see him. He says he knows you're here, insists on talking to you. Get him out of the office. Get some of the boys to help me. If he won't leave, just... Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Norton. He forced his way in. I'm sorry. I couldn't stop him. Oh, that's, that's quite all right, Miss Perry. I'll see him. Hello, Henry. I thought you'd be delighted to see me. We haven't seen each other for seven long years. That wasn't nice not to have a chat with your ex-partner, was it? Well, I was awfully busy. I have a lot of work to do. You know how it is. No, I don't. Uh, 
I didn't know you were out already. I thought you had three more years to go. I did, but good behavior cut three years off my sentence. Well, that's wonderful, Charlie. I'm glad you're out. It must have been a terrible experience. You... You've changed. It was a little hard to recognize you at first. Perhaps the prison pallor doesn't become me. And my hair has turned completely gray. I don't look so good, do I, Henry? Not like you with a Florida tan. <clears throat> well, how's Helen? My wife's dead. She's dead? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. What'd she die of? She died of heartbreak. Oh, poor Helen. She was always such a sensitive woman. What about your son, Alan? He disappeared after his mother died. I don't know where he is. He never wrote me while I was in jail. Never forgave me for bringing ruin and suffering upon his mother. You see, he was sensitive, too. You've had a pretty hard time of it, haven't you, Charlie? Your sympathy is touching. Well, I, I, I hope you'll drop around again sometime when I'm not so busy. I'm not leaving yet, Henry. Uh, I've got some important work to finish. If you come around in a week or so, perhaps I'll have a spot for you, something in your Don't line. Don't be so nervous, Henry. I'm not going to kill you. Not yet. Kill me? Why should you want to kill me? I was wondering how long you'd put on this innocent act. All this concern about my welfare, about my wife and son... Why, you slimy rat. If it weren't for you, I'd never have gone to prison. My wife would be alive today, and my son wouldn't be embittered against me. I swear to you, it wasn't my fault. Believe me, Charlie, I had nothing to do... You should have known that sooner or later I'd be freed. Do you think I was ever going to forget how you framed me? I didn't frame you. It was out of my hands. I couldn't do a thing. When my wife died and my son disappeared, I had no reason to live. Just one thing that kept me alive. A fine and beautiful vengeance I had worked out for you. I thought of you constantly as I tramped the prison yard. I lay awake at night, smoothing out my plans to pay you back for all you've done to me. Seven years. You can think of an awful lot of things. It was all Grayson's fault, I tell you. He's the one to blame. I nourished and built my hate for seven long years. I cultivated it as I would a garden, so that it isn't a hot, violent anger anymore. Oh, no. It's a cool, efficient hate that works by blueprint. I look at you now as an engineer would at something he must destroy. And you're as good as dead, Henry. No, no, Charlie, no. I can explain everything. Just give me some I time. I could kill you now, but you'd only suffer a few minutes, and then it would be all over. That would never equal the years of torture and suffering that I've gone through. But I won't disappoint you, Henry. I am going to kill you. But not until you've gotten a fair idea what seven years of suffering means. I tell you, Charlie, it wasn't my fault. Grayson made me do it. He made me water those stocks under your name. So it was Grayson. Poor Grayson went to prison where he got sick and died. He framed himself, didn't he? Come now, Henry, pull yourself together. You ought to be able to concoct a better alibi than that silly one. You were quite a brilliant fellow once. Why, with one swoop, you got rid of two partners. And you thrived during these seven years while I was away. I hear you're one of the biggest brokers in the city now. Climbed over the backs of half a dozen people. Oh, look, Charles, let's be reasonable. 
I'll give you an important position in my company. It'll be a good paying job. A too. job? What for? What do I want money for? I have no family, no one to work for, care for. I have only one thing left in my life. And that, Henry, is to see you go to the next world in the most agonizing way possible. Goodbye, Henry. You can spend the rest of the afternoon most profitably by making out your will. <laughs> Henry Norton's cold and clammy hands were trembling as Charles Blair left his office. The impact of seeing this ghost from his past left Henry's mind in a whirl of confusion. His mind turned to flight, but that was impossible. His money, his very life was wrapped up in his business. He couldn't flee. His brain in a turmoil, unable to do any work, Henry got his hat and coat and left his office. He arrived home, badly unnerved, and retired to his study to give the problem of Charles Blair further thought, but he was interrupted. Uh, see who that is, Miss Dean. Uh, if it's Mr. Blair, don't let him in. I'm never into him, understand? Yes, Mr. Norton, I understand. How do you do, madam? Is this the Norton home? Yes, what can I do for you? I'm Mr. Madden. I'd like to see the head of the household. Oh, just a moment, please. Uh, who is it? He says his name is Madden. Madden? I don't know anybody by that name. Uh, has he got gray hair? No, Mr. Norton. His hair is black. Oh, all right. All right, I'll see him. Did you want to see me, sir? Uh, yes, sir. Are you Mr. Norton? Yes, I am. All right, boys, bring it in. I just, just put it down by the door for the moment, boys. That's it. Hey, what's going on here? Uh, why are you bring a coffin into my apartment? Who are you? Well, now, if you please, I'd like to see the body. Body? What body? What's this all about? What's this coffin doing here? We've come for the body of Henry Norton. Why, you must be crazy. I'm Henry Norton. You? Uh, I, I'm sorry. I must have gotten the names confused. Uh, what was your brother's name? I have no brother, and there's no body in this house. If this is some stupid joke, I don't think it's funny at all. I'm not in the habit of playing jokes, sir. I've been an established undertaker for many years. Here's my card. Well, the devil take your card. Who put you up to this? Some man came to my parlor yesterday and arranged for the funeral of Henry Norton. He paid for everything in advance. Some man? What was his name? He didn't leave any name. Charlie Blair. What did he look like? Remember rather tall, I think. His hair had turned white. Blair. So it was Blair trying to frighten me. Get out. Get out of here, you stupid fools. Take that coffin back with you. I'm not used to being spoken to like that, Mr. Norton. Get out of here before I throw you out. Come on, boys. Here, wait a minute. Don't leave that coffin here. It's all paid for, Mr. Norton. It's yours now. Keep it. You might need it sometime. Before Henry could call Matt and the undertaker back, he was gone. Henry turned from the door and stared at the new coffin on the floor. It even had a plate on it 
with his name engraved. Unable to stand the sight of the coffin, Henry fled to his study and locked himself in. Unable to sleep, he spent the night trying to think of a way to escape Charles Blair's vengeance. The following morning found Henry haggard and distraught and no closer to a solution of his problem. As he ate a tasteless breakfast, the doorbell rang. Miss Dean, the housekeeper, went to the door. A minute later, she returned. Who was that, Miss Dean? It was the postman, Mr. Norton. His special delivery package came for you. Oh, oh, it must be the new field glasses I ordered. Here, let me have it. Huh. Nice of them to wrap it in a gift box. Kind of a small box, though. Huh. Yes, it isn't the binoculars, after all. Someone sent you a gift. <laughs> Probably one of my clients. Wait a minute. You hear anything? Hear what? It's ticking. I'll put it to your ear. Listen. Yes, uh, I hear it now. It's throbbing. It's a time bomb. Oh. Somebody's trying to kill me. A time bomb? Oh. It'll go off any minute. Well, what are we going to do? Here, take it. Throw it away. Where? Uh, out of the window, any place. No, no, no. There's people outside. Don't stand there like an idiot. Throw it out. Well, I'll throw it in the bathtub. Hurry before we get blown to bits. Oh, dear, I hope it doesn't explode in my hand. This episode, Death is My Caller, featured Santos Ortega, Agnes Young, Ted Jewett, and Neil O'Malley. Along with the mysterious traveler, Kogan and Arthur also wrote a season of Nick Carter, The Strange Doctor Weird, The Sealed Book, and later Murder by Experts. Ten minutes later, a police car raced up to the house and the doorbell rang. The mysterious traveler would air until September of 1952. We're from the bomb and alien squad. Where's the package? It's in the bathtub. I turned the faucet on. That will do, good lady. Where's the bathroom? That door on your left. All right, you stay here. Jim, you come along with me. Okay, here's the bathroom. You better stand back a little, Jim. I'll take a look at it myself. Well, uh it isn't ticking anymore. Might be safe to open it now. Well, here goes. Why? Why, it's only an alarm clock. Someone must have wound it up before he sent it out. Now, who'd want to do a fool thing like that? That night, Henry Norton found it hard to sleep. He tossed and turned for hours, and it seemed he had hardly closed his eyes before he awoke with a start. <laughs>